The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, back to Brutal Nation. The podcast series is dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the very angry-looking... I have resting bitch face. Leave me alone. Tammy Underwood. You're being mean to me. You look angry. I always look angry. You're looking You're looking across the desks at me, through my mic, and you're... No, because I have resting bitch face, and I'm doing something, so therefore you're seeing my little... Yeah. Your little what? <laughs> my little angry. My little... Um, no, it's called... My... Uh, no, it's called my determined face. Well, that's scary as shit. Okay. Now I'm fucking terrified. Thank you, Tam Tam. Now I got to call my fucking therapist, get on better drugs. Might need heroin. Hi, everybody. (laughs) About fucking time. So today we're doing part two of Wesley Allen Dodd. Wesley Allen Dodd. For our fetish Friday. Oh, spank me. Oh, no, he was that sick fucker, remember? He was the one that tried to kidnap the kid in the movie theater in Camus <laughs> oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. here. Okay, yeah, no, the yeah, Vancouver child killer. Okay, okay. And I'm how, sorry, uh, I totally fucking forgot about this. No, asshole. and how he had molested all these people and kept. You know what I mean? Right. I'm back on. I was trying to. Yeah. My brain doesn't work right. No, and this episode shit. is going to be like, you know, it's really bizarre. And I mean, you might think one thing at one point, but then it's like, no, dude, that wasn't what was going on so beautiful all righty daddy so now i'm going to talk about his murders because i didn't get into those shut up i always talk with my hands fucker i didn't even say anything no you're just mimicking me asshole because i'm a polar bear because i'm a polar bear (laughs) i want to point out that it is uh about 4.15 in the afternoon, 4.16. And you're still in your fucking duck jam. Because we record all of our episodes in one day. Yes. So you are still in your fucking ju- duck and jammies. I just put dinner on and the whole thing. And I have not taken off my duck jammy jams. I think he's doing it just to annoy me. I lo- They're so fucking comfortable. Because look, they're really thin. Maybe you should buy me a pair. No. I think you should. No, both of you guys can fuck right off. Buy your own goddamn... Well, I would buy my own pair, but I never got my gift card yet. Fuck. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to take care <laughs> of this Giving shit. you a hard no, time. No, I, I, I forgot to put it in my fucking calendar mm. as to remind me. And it's been bugging me for like four days now going, I'm forgetting something and I can't put my fucking finger on it. What the fuck am I forgetting? And one of the things was to pay my cell phone bill. Oh, well, there you go. Until I got a it's reminder. It's not automatic? No. Oh. I don't like it automatic. Until I got a reminder that said, hey, it's time to pay your cell phone bill. Oh, shit. Okay. So I paid that. But it's been eating at me. And now I know. No, I'm, I am I'm, just giving you a hard time. You know I don't expect anything. No, I'm going to, though. I know. Like want... my best friend. She never expects me to get her anything. So when I talked to her about getting her a Christmas gift, she's like, I told you not to get me anything. I said, yeah, you know, you tell me every year. But every year, I get you something. So why do you bother telling me that I anymore? might just take you over to Torrid and say, 
buy like. Are they open now? Bowl. I fucking buy now, probably. Uh, you gonna give me a spending limit or just say have fun? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you you can buy like two or three bras or some shit or whatever the fuck. I, I need jeans, ass. Oh, okay. And if I go online, I can get a lot of them on clearance. Well, I can tell that you need jeans because the ones that you keep wearing are all torn up like you got fucking attacked by I'm a grizzly like bar. I'm down to two or three pairs, and it's bugging me. I used to have like eight pairs, but then when I had to stop working, I kind of gained a little bit extra weight, so my other ones are kind of a little too Then tight. you got attacked by a bear. My little, my, my, I called them my skinny jeans because I went down a size, and they're kind of a little tight on me. Yeah, and your pants are torn up like you're attacked by a bear. I have another pair that are like this, too. I buy them like this. Why? Because I like the distressed jeans. Those aren't just distressed. Those are, I have been attacked well, in mud. Well, these, um, the holes have gotten a little bigger. That's why I really need them. No. <laughs> you have a big hole? <laughs> Not that big. <laughs> you and I both thought of the same thing at the same time, I'm pretty sure. But no, because it's like I get my foot caught in them when I'm putting them on, and they torn a little bit more. Ridiculous. But anyways, let's talk about Wesley Allen Dodd and his murders. And his capture and his confessions. Okay. And his Xbox and his vacation he took to Maui. Why would we? T- he didn't have an Xbox. I don't know. You, keep, like, you, 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 kept fucking, you kept listing things off. I was sitting there going, you know, and the, that he liked the disco. And uh, <laughs> maybe he did. I don't, I don't know. know. Boogie fever, man. <laughs> disco Inferno. I was only 14 at this time when he was busted. Hmm. Well, when he committed his first murder. So by autumn of 1989, Dodd had just relocated to the Vancouver area. Because remember, he was up in Seattle for a while and, right. you know, all this other shit. And he was desperate to find some victims there because he didn't know anybody in this area. Um, he later said that on Labor Day of that year, he was, he goes, on Labor Day, I was tired from moving and didn't have a TV or anything. So I started thinking about molesting like I had done in the past because he's a serial molester. Let's see. I don't have a TV. He started by exposing himself. Um, Let's see. I can go talk to the neighbors. No, let's go molest. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's better Let's go find a kid to just fucking have sex with him. Fucking incredible, man. (laughs) So unfortunately for Dodd's victims, he had discovered David Douglas Park. Which, I don't know exactly where that's at, but it's here in Vancouver. Yeah, no, I know exactly where it's at. Oh, okay. So, it was situated approximately one mile from his new apartment. And as the predator strolled along the dirt paths that wound around the park, he scoped out the secluded area. Because he went down there just to, like, scope it out first. He, you know, he walked around and looked for the secluded areas where, A, kids might venture alone. Or, B, he could, like... um, (coughs) Um, take them and, you know, do his deed. I'm going to look it up, but I'm pretty sure David Douglas Park is str- like right up Fourth Plain, like not far from here. Oh, okay. Because um, that has dirt paths and shit like that. I only know where all the parks are because when I uh, was doing work crew, instead of going to jail. Oh, yeah, you did uh, work in lieu of jail? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we I cleaned and mowed every fucking... You wouldn't think there's that many parks in Vancouver. Oh, there's a it's lot. a pretty big town. I thought there's maybe four parks. Oh, no. Maybe. No. There's, there's like, like 10 parks in my town, and it's way smaller. There's like 9,429 billion fucking parks in this damn town. <laughs> 29 billion, Scott? A lot. <laughs> Anyways, so in his personal diary, 
um, an entry around that time mentioned Davis Douglas Park, and he wrote that the park, quote, would be a good place for rape and murder or kidnap, rape and murder, a good hunting ground. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So um, on Labor Day weekend, Saturday, September 2nd, 1989, uh, Dodd was perfectly positioned near the entrance of one of the park trails. And I'm a visual thinker. And all I can picture is a scrawny guy, you know, because they said he was really skinny and had a small stature. A scrawny guy standing around rubbing his hands together in anticipation of what he planned on doing. Like, ha, 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 ha. It's actually, it's off a mill plane. I'm, I was oh, wrong. Oh, okay. Well, it's, still not that far. Not that far. And, and Andreessen. So that's only like maybe two miles from where I'm Yeah, at that's right now. like right up there. Yeah. So you would take like, uh, like Grand right out here? Right. And then. 33rd turns into Grand. Yeah. And then. it over to mill plane. Take a right and. Well, it t- turns right into Grand. Oh, yeah. The one that goes over towards Walmart. Yeah. Then you go past Walmart Got over it. to mill plane. Hang yeah. a left, and then like another mile up the road is Andreessen. Yeah. So that's that's where it's at right there. Okay. It is. It's a big fucking like it's it's huge. Oh wow! It is pretty big. Yeah, we cleaned up a lot of limbs and shit like that wow. in that area. Ginormous place. Wow, dude. Um. So, anyways, um, even though he spotted three young boys. There you go. There's a channel lesser track right there. Oh, oh yeah, that trail on the yeah yeah yeah, that is like really secluded. So um, he spotted three young boys on that day walking towards him, and he kind of like remained still waiting for them. However, it sparked something in his dark fantasy world. Um, The next day, Dodd made another entry in his personal diary, and true to his sociopathic form, his entry depersonalized the victims. Um, He said, if I can get, get it home... I'll have more time for various types of rape rather than just one quickie before murder. Okay, I say that about kids in Walmart all the time. Get it away from me. That is my little boy. Okay, whatever. Get it away from me. Your little fucking crotch goblin. It has uh, sticky hands. But we all know how you feel about Walmart children. I want to seriously kick them. (laughs) Not all of them, by the way, because like... I've been in Walmart once or twice where there's been some good kids. Yeah. You know, we go, hey, man, those kids are pretty good. Well, you even find some really nasty brats at Fred Meyer and shit. Oh, yeah. That's why I like wearing my, my, my stage boots, my biker boots. I just punt them. Yeah. There was one time distance. I went into Fred Meyer and this kid was screaming at the top of his lungs, I hate you. I want this. And I can't, you know. And he was maybe like five. And all of a sudden, I, under my breath, I was standing in line under my breath. I go, that kid needs a spanking. And this woman in front of me looked at me and said, I'm sorry. She goes, oh, no, you're right. <laughs> so I can't remember where I was. I was somewhere back east at a Walmart shopping. And a kid was yelling the typical thing. I hate you. And I was in my mood. And I went, I fucking hate you, too. Will you shut the fuck up? And the mom's like, what the fuck did you say? Will you shut the fuck up, too. I fucking shop. <laughs> I went on my merry way. <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, I just, people need to fucking That was before anger show. management. You know what? I was thinking about that the other day in the shower, because I do a lot of thinking in the shower, that you should start saying B-A-M. <laughs> yep, before anger management. Yeah, you can say, bam. That was bam. Because <laughs> fucking parents don't teach their kids not to be little fucking assholes, and they <laughs> give them everything that they want. Yeah. So he went back to the park that night. But he still didn't find a victim before he had to go back home to grab lunch. So he made plans to return to the park again on Monday. Okay. 
So since he didn't want to miss any opportunities to select the perfect child, he actually thought it was better for him to pack a lunch and take it with him. So he's like thinking ahead, right? So he actively fantasized about how he would attack his chosen prey. Um, He figured he could easily target more than one child. For instance, if there happened to be a group of at least three young boys, he could strike and kill the oldest or biggest one quickly. Then he figured he could take a sweet time and and prolong the torture and assault of the younger ones. Well, he's just thinking it through. (laughs) Yeah, okay. He went over to Walmart. He got three or four of those little fucking crotch goblins in there. Yeah, why didn't he go to Walmart? Walmart probably wasn't up in 89. No, probably not. Yeah. Wishful thinking. Yeah. So by the time Dodd left his apartment on Monday morning, he was desperate to strike. He had to be prepared for any eventuality, even if it meant he had to overpower two or more children. Um, He assembled his hunting gear, which included a boning knife, which he secured to his ankle with a bandage and the shoestrings he needed to bind his victims. Yeah. Even though he was desperate, he was still being... A little cautious. Uh, That Monday seemed to be just a repeat of the previous days. Every time he thought there was an opportunity to, you know, grab a child, Destiny seemed to have other plans. Uh, The things that managed to keep him from acting on his deviant desire um, were as simple as a parent following close behind the child or the child coming towards him and turning in a different direction than he anticipated. Okay, and then there were sometimes witnesses, potential witnesses milling about. So he just like, I'm not going to, you know, nab a kid when they're watching me. So his frustration grew with each missed opportunity. Um, Every child who walked by him that may have satisfied his fantasy um, was accompanied by someone he couldn't overpower, you know, because he's not going to attack somebody bigger than him. Uh, this only angered him and made him more willing to take a big risk. Uh, by late afternoon, he returned home to jot some thoughts down in his diary. Then at approximate, and I love it when they have weird times, at approximately 6.15 p.m., he went back to the park to pace back and forth and wait for his chance. Um, and it happened that that same evening, uh, 10-year-old William, who went by Billy near N-E-E-R, was racing his bike along the paths of David Douglas Park. He and his 11-year-old brother, Cole, were trying to get home in a hurry. They knew they were going to be late for dinner, so they decided to take a shortcut. Because it's going to be an ass-whooping. That's back when... Yeah, that's back when you better be home by the time the streetlights are on or you're fucked. Yeah, you get a real ass-whooping. Yeah. So the two brothers had spent the majority of that afternoon hanging around a local golf course because... On nice days, they would go there because they could pick up lost balls from the area around the greens and return them to earn money. I knew I shouldn't have said it. There are times when I just gloss over it, hoping you miss it, but you never do. I love not saying a fucking word, just smiling and nodding my head as you didn't mention picking up their balls. Lost balls. I didn't say their balls. Hey, balls are balls, right? So You would know that. Shut up. So as they got partway up the path and the shortcut they were taking, a man stepped out to block their way. They didn't see anyone else around the darkening wooded area, right? So it's like, what the hell is going on? When Dodd stepped in front of them, he yelled at them, I want you to come with me. He then made them get off their bikes. And Billy, the, old, the youngest one, asked him 
why they had to go and Dodd snap because I told you to. That's a good reason to fucking run. I'm yeah, serious. Because I told exactly. you to. No, adios, motherfucker. Yeah. But apparently, despite his small stature, he was able to exert enough dominance over them that they obeyed him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So as he was walking away with the brothers, two older teenagers approached them from the opposite direction, and he ordered the younger kids to keep their mouth shut, and they did. Uh, he then took them off the trail and made them put their bikes down somewhere they wouldn't be seen from the path. After that, he led them through some thick foliage to a more secluded location. Okay? Once he had Cole and Billy in that isolated area, he had them stand back to back, and then he tied their wrists uh, using his uh, the shoelaces in his pocket. They He kind of, like, tied them together. Gotcha. Okay? Um, little Cole... You know, the older one. I think Cole was the older one. Yeah, he was the 11-year-old. Um, where did... I lost my place. Oh, he just kept repeating the question, why? Right? Dodd told him that one of them had to take his pants down. Okay? Even though they were scared, Cole wanted to know, the oldest one, will it hurt? When Dodd told him it wouldn't, he's, the older boy said, okay, I'll do it. Right. Fair enough. And people think perhaps he was trying to make sure that he could protect his little brother as much as he could, which I can understand. Um, After all, the older man hadn't said anything about harming them. Uh, Maybe he could just do what the guy wanted and really quickly and they could get the hell out of there. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Cole did ask Dodd, why are you doing this to us? And he didn't give the boy an answer. He just kept fondling and molesting them. Uh, He did say that he was going to let them go when he was done, and he wanted to focus the majority of his actions on little Billy, the youngest one, but Billy kept crying really hard, so Dodd left him alone, okay? Right. So he made the boys get down on their knees, and once he had them in that position, he brought out the knife and cut the ties that held the brothers together. Um. At that point, little Billy asked if he could be allowed to go home and then come back. He said he just wanted to go explain to his father why they were running late. Okay, makes sense. Okay. And so, of course, Dodd said no. He told them that he was almost finished. He then made the little boy watch while he sexually assaulted the older older brother. Okay. God damn. Yeah. After Dodd completed having sex with Cole, he said there's just one more thing. Then he grabbed the knife. And the boys probably saw the evil in his eyes because they began to beg and plead for their lives. Their cries fell on deaf ears, and he took the knife and plunged it into little Billy's stomach. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, And remember, it's just a thin boning knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Then Dodd turned and stabbed Cole. Or when Dodd stabbed his little brother, Cole jumped up. Uh. Dodd got startled a little bit, so he swung the knife at the older brother and caught him in the side, okay? And Billy, at that time, managed to get up, even though he had a knife wound in his gut, and run off a little bit. Dodd panicked when he saw the little boy heading straight for a busy street. He was like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm screwed. Right. So he looked down and saw Cole on the ground trying to get up, um... And he was kept trying to fight the little, the big man off. However, he was stabbed two more times. Uh, when Cole quit struggling, uh, Dodd ran after Billy and he caught up to him right before he 
made it to the road. And as dad grabbed his arm really hard, the little boy kept sobbing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, in his confessions later, Dodd said he was haunted by what Billy said um, when he was about to kill, about what the little boy he was about to kill kept apologizing to him. Um, however, he wasn't haunted enough to stop from stabbing the kid um, in his side and shoulder area. When the boys had stopped struggling, he ran off into woods and left them there to bleed to death. Okay, Dodd did return a little later to make sure Cole was really dead and get rid of any evidence he may have left behind. He made sure he picked up the shoelaces and placed them in his pocket. Then he strolled out of the park and apparently he had injured his hand because he tucked that hand in his pocket so nobody would notice. Ah. Okay, so um, little Billy was still alive. Oh, okay. Okay, but barely. And he was found first. Somebody found him right away. In the beginning, law enforcement officials thought he had been involved in a hit and run because he was close to the road. Um, however, he never regained consciousness. And by the time officers arrived at the hospital, they called him Junior Doe because they didn't know who he was, um, had died. And the hospital and staff informed them that this boy was not part of a hit and run. He was brutally attacked. Okay. Um, Claire Near. Billy and Cole's father had become worried when his sons never made it home for dinner. So he ran around the neighborhoods where the two boys were known to hang out. And when he couldn't find him, he called the police right away. Okay. When law enforcement officials heard about a man missing his two sons, they went back to the park to search for another victim. By then they were able to identify junior Doe as Billy. However, by the time they made it back to the park, dusk had settled in. So it was getting darker. And despite the darkness, they continued to search around using their flashlights. The search was called off at around 2 a.m. when someone found Cole Near's lifeless body where Dodd had left him. Jesus he had fled fuck. to death. Yeah. When word of the murdered brother spread through Vancouver, parents were horrified. They quickly rallied together and began organizing watch parties. And these watch parties would patrol local paths and parks that, kid use, that kids used to travel back and forth to school. And they tried to educate their children to warn them away from secluded areas. Like, stay away from secluded areas, don't talk to strangers, that kind of stuff. Um, a few people actually came forward saying that they had witnessed a strange little man. And the report said skulking around David Douglas Park. That's not a word I use. But even so, the leads they received were slim, and there were composite sketches drawn up of potential suspects, and those were circulated in the area around the parks. However, nothing really, no solid leads came in that could give them any answers. So the murders were so random and pointless, everyone was on edge. Okay? When Don got back home, he was frustrated. Once he had his victims, he didn't get to do half the things he had fantasized about. Because, you know, he wanted to torture and right. prolong it and all that shit. So even though he continued to go to work as scheduled, he kept to himself even more. He'd, like, withdrawn even more. He was scared that someone might draw a connection with him in the sketch that was being splashed all over the news. Gotcha, gotcha. Which I can understand the fear. You know, can't you? Yeah. It's like, ooh, you look like that guy. 
Um, you look a lot like this motherfucker. Yeah. Come on, it's Wes. It's not looking like Christmas, but you're looking like a molester. <laughs> you kind of look a little chimo thing yeah. going on here. What, what have you been doing? Yeah. So alone at night, he took the newspaper articles and uh, newspaper and cut out the articles that were printed about his crimes. Um, he even wrote more journal entries detailing his dark fantasies. When he remembered the way Cole looked as he lay on the ground bleeding to death, he became excited again. Um, He wrote in his diary, right up until the moment I did it, I wasn't absolutely sure I could do it or not. He would also later say that might have been part of what made the first incident so exciting. So he never referred to it as a murder or a kidnapping or a molestation. It was always an incident. And it was the, you know, he referred to his victims as it, not he's. Um, So reliving the events in private later, he quickly realized that he, quote, got more of a high out of killing than molesting. Uh, That's when he started writing down uh, ways he wanted to kill more children. He uh, talked about, in his diary, he talked about fast ways to kill his victims, such as stabbing. And he even wrote about killing methods that would take longer and inflict more pain, like a child starving and bleeding to death. Jesus fucking Christ, Oh, wait, Christ, it gets man. worse. I mean, I should send you his diary. No, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. One thing Dodd knew for certain, the 20 minutes he had alone to sexually assault and murder the Near Brothers wasn't enough uh, to satisfy his needs. He wrote about how he wanted to hold onto his next target for an indefinite period of time. He had already grown bored with raping and he had gotten his first quick murder out of his system. He wanted to perform some, quote, experimental surgeries and his writing started focusing on those. Um, After he was arrested, he actually wrote many letters to people and in one such letter, he questioned the fantasies he had been having regarding cannibalism. Yeah, in the letter he wrote, why? I don't know. I wanted to eat the genitals. Dead children would be cheap way to feed my, quote, slaves if I ever had any. Gee. I know. You picked the most fucked up person. I do have a tendency to find Jesus Christ. But I knew I wanted to feature this guy because he was from this area. Um. It was also around this time that Dodd also began to plan to cut the genitals off a child so that he could watch the child bleed to death slowly. He also fantasized about keeping the boy alive after emasculation so that he could force the victim to watch him cook the genitals to eat, and perhaps he could force the child to eat some of them as well. It's like he wanted to Hannibal Lecter the guy, the kids. Um, Dodd would take those dark fantasies even further, when he talked about plans to serve a child, what he referred to as mystery vegetables, um, which would be the testicles of another victim. After making the kid eat this, quote, vegetable, he would reveal that it was what it truly was and then tell the kid his testicles were next. Um, He says that he fantasized about saying, quote, and hey, you eat beef liver, how about a boy's liver? God was, damn. Yeah. And then he says, I was mainly interested in eating the genitals while kids watched. I was going to do this as a form of torture more than anything else. Then that just sound like so fucking mentally deranged. I on I I I really have no fucking words right now, yeah, to be honest. Exactly. 
So for people who are regular listeners on our show, we discussed how, quote, sexual murders thrive on fantasies they have. Uh, the fantasies they think will satiate their uh, sadistic desires. Yet I don't think we've really talked about how the more this type of killer withdraws into those fantasies, the more and more they lose any touch with any reality. Right? It's like okay. their fantasies become their reality. Um, the more this happens, the more distance they put between themselves and others who might be able to help them, especially if they still have family around. Um, a sexual sadist or a sexual sociopath will nurture that dark fantasy to the point people they come into contact with are mere objects for their enjoyment. We saw it with David Parker Ray and yep. how his victims became puppets in his sick games. Puppets that he could manipulate and torture, as, and he was only limited by his cruel imagination. Well, even the dude who dug the pit that we just recently talked about a few episodes ago with the girls. Oh, uh, uh, Heidnik. Heidnik. Yeah. It was the same way. He, yeah, uh, he had retreated into his dark fantasies. Yeah, uh, and the, the women in the pit... Were his harem. Yeah, that they, they were objects. Even yeah. though he said harem, which indicates people, yeah. they were more his objects. possessions. Yes. Rather and than remember, he people. focused on uh, mentally disabled African-American women. Yes. Yeah. So Don wasn't any different than other fetish killers we featured. Although, personally, I think he was worse. Um, especially when it became apparent that he didn't just want to rape and kill his victims. He was hell-bent to find the most helpless of victims and destroy their innocence for his own sick pleasure. Um. Then, after he killed the Near Brothers, he was content, content to live in his fantasies for nearly two months. Um, however, by the end of October, he was getting antsy and plotting what he wanted to do in his next attack. He waited that long because he was truly frightened that someone would find out he was the one that killed Billy and Cole and he wanted he, he would be arrested. Right? Um However, as the days went on and nobody accused him of being the David Douglas Park attacker, he figured they didn't have any real clues as to who he was. Um, that's when he began thinking about striking again. He determined by then that the best days to go hunting was on Saturday afternoons. Um, now he just had to figure out where to go hunting next. Um, he drove his vehicle south, you know, the Pinto, the mustard yellow Pinto, and he went across the I-5 bridge into Portland. He knew that Oaks Amusement Park was going to have be having Halloween events, and it was always a popular place he could find lots of kids to choose from. When he got there, he noticed a young boy standing in line to ride the spider ride. Um, he asked the boy if he wanted to be shown something interesting. However, before the boy could respond, his father came back. Uh, so that de scared Dot away from Oaks Park. He left in his vehicle and drove through the streets of Southeast Portland looking for a playground. And he took note of Richmond School when he passed Cesar Chavez and Southeast 41st. I know it wasn't called Cesar Chavez back then, but that's what it's called now. And he made a mental note to return there later. He figured that there weren't many kids around because it was getting darker. And the few children he did notice quickly disappeared. So next he went to a movie. He figured he could snatch a kid from the bathroom, 
So he bought a ticket to see the bear and chose a seat in the back. However, he never found the right opportunity to make a move. As the hours passed, his frustration increased almost beyond control. And he was adamant that he was going to return. He wasn't going to return empty handed the next day. Um, on October 29th, which is Sunday, um, Justin Isley, I-S-E-L-I, told his father that he and his four-year-old brother were headed to the school playground. They had plans to meet with one of their other friends. Um, since it was a clear sunny day and since they had done it before, Robert let them go ahead and go. Um, as they walked we're walking out of the house though. Robert told his two little boys stick close together and keep an eye out for strangers. He gave them this warning all the time, even though they lived in a safe neighborhood. And I can understand that because even to this day, every time I leave the house, my mom will say, bye, stay safe, watch for cops. It's just something she says, usually because I always got pulled over, but now she just says it out of habit. So, and then she had already, she also started adding in crazy drivers like you after my brother got in his accident, but you know, whatever. Um, on that same Sunday morning, Dodd decided to return to Richmond school and wait for an opportunity to find a child. Right away, he noticed a group of older boys playing a game of touch football. Then he spotted little Lee. The four-year-old boy was sitting on top of a play structure by himself um, then Lee wrote down the slide all the kids referred to as the volcano and Dodd met him at the bottom and asked, hi, how you doing? Uh, little Lee looked up at him, smiled and said hi back. And then Dot, that's when Dodd asked him, would you like to have some fun and make some money? Uh, Lee hesitated and looked as if he were scared. Um, he quickly glanced around and shook his head, but the older man was persistent and he offered the kid his hand and almost as if it were an automatic reaction, Lee grabbed it, which a four-year-old would. Um, Dodd was leading this little blue-eyed child towards his vehicle when Lee started trying to pull his hand away. Um, he said, I don't want any money. And when Dodd realized the boy was becoming more fearful, he tried to offer some reassurance. He bent over and said that Lee's dad had sent him to the park to pick him up. Uh, that calmed Lee down enough so that Dodd was able to put him in the yellow Pinto and drive away. And as they were driving down the street, Lee was looking out the window when he said, I live the other way. So... Not wanting Lee to become even more frightened, Dodd said, we're going to my house and play some games. Just do what I tell you, and I promise I won't hurt you. But you'll have to be quiet when we get there because my landlady doesn't like little kids. Um, when Lee expressed his concern about his brother Justin missing him, Dodd said that his brother was having fun and they were going to have fun as well. And over the years of being a serial molester, Dodd had become adept at knowing what and how to say what was needed to keep his victims safe. You know, because remember, we talked about how he groomed his victims in the past. So at almost the exact time Dodd arrived back at his apartment in Vancouver, Robert was calling the authorities in Portland to report his four-year-old missing. However, you know, he's in Portland, southeast Portland. That's quite a ways away. Yeah. And Dodd's already back in Vancouver. 
So um, Justin returned home in a panic, telling his dad that he couldn't find his brother. And he had looked everywhere. Justin said one minute Lee was playing on the volcano and the next he was gone. Um, while talking to the authorities, Robert informed them Lee's the kind of kid who doesn't take off, but he can get sidetracked. He's four. You know, they see a butterfly and they're like, Ooh. I'm 48 and I see a squirrel or a butterfly. A squirrel or a butterfly. And I just wander the fuck Or a off. puppy, and you slam on your fucking brakes. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, because you can see a puppy walking down the highway with an owner, and you will slam on your fucking brakes and pull over to pet the puppy. Because it's a puppy. <laughs> Duh. Because it's my brother. <laughs> I love all animals, especially the puppies. You do. You are very... You are very... Um, What's the word I'm looking? Humane when it comes to all animals. Even insects, except for spiders. Yeah, spiders can go fuck themselves. Yeah. Like, for real. Fuck them. Them and flies. Them I have no respect for. <laughs> Little gnats. And gnats, yeah. Yeah. So, when Dodd returned home, his landlord wasn't there. Uh, and it appears as if nobody noticed him take this little boy inside his house. So, once the door was closed, Dodd grabbed his Polaroid and snapped a few pictures of Lee before he made him take his clothes off. When the boy was naked... The older man tied him to the bed using ropes. And I have pictures of the bed with the ropes attached to it that really disturbed me. Fuck. And then, so Dodd snapped a couple more pictures. Untied Lee and sexually assaulted him. After a little while, Lee curled up to watch cartoons and Dodd wrote about the day's events in his journal. Um, after Dodd made his journal entry, he asked if the, if the two would be spending the night to get he asked Lee if they would spend the night together. And Lee told him, no, my brother might miss me. Then Dodd said, nah, your brother's probably having fun too. Then Dodd took a risk. He took Lee out of the apartment and he went to Kmart, which is no longer around anymore. And he told Lee to pick out a toy. However, while they were there, the boy started crying. Um, one of the store clerks actually noticed him crying walked over and asked if everything was okay. Dodd assured the clerk that things were fine and the, that the boy was his nephew. He was babysitting and he just wanted to go home. Uh, they quickly left the store and Dodd took time to drive through McDonald's drive through in Vancouver to buy Lee some food. Uh, once Lee had a toy and Dodd had gotten him some food, they returned back to his apartment. Lee went off to play in the corner and the man sat down and wrote in his journal some more. He wrote, he suspects nothing now. We'll probably wait until morning to kill him. That way his body will be fairly fresh for experiments after work. I'll suffocate him in his sleep when I wake up for work, if I sleep. Um, throughout the night, Dodd alternated between sexually assaulting Lee, recording in his journal, and taking his breaks. He thought about how he was going to kill him and where he would hide the body. There was even one time during the early morning hours when he woke the boy up by whispering, I'm going to kill you in the morning. Uh, Lee heard him, woke up, and was scared and started screaming, no, you're not. Um, and Dodd must have realized that that wasn't the best thing he, he could have done because it took him a while to calm Lee back down. Finally, the boy calmed down and went back to sleep. So around the time the sun was coming up, Dodd strangled the sleeping child. However, when Lee couldn't breathe, he woke up and fought as hard as he could to get the large man off of him. 
Um, Dog continued to choke Lee until he was nearly dead. Then he revived the boy only to strangle him with a rope. He then used that same rope and hung Lee's body in his closet and took more photos. He had to shove the hangers and close the side to, uh, to the side in order to make more room. And those were the photos law enforcement officials found in the briefcase later. Um, now it was time for Dodd to go to work. He couldn't be late, yet he couldn't risk his landlady coming in and finding the dead child. So he decided to hide the body in his closet, tucked behind some of the blankets and pillows there. I do the same thing with hookers. Which amazes me that he was afraid his landlord would find the body. But once a person is dead, they automatically start stinking. Yeah. Because when my dad died, almost as soon as he died, it was like that odor permeated the room. Well, yeah, you lose all function. You know what I I mean? And I remember when my friend Byron, who... You know, the ex-pimp who I was taking care of in Portland when he died of can- his, you know, he succumbed to his cancer. He, I mean, it's, I knew he was dead because that odor, I mean, you know, just permeated the room. Um, days later. Then you were after- pimpless after that, right? Huh? Then you didn't have a pimp after that? Yeah, I was pimpless. That's sad. I had to pop my pimp. No, I'm kidding. God dang, man. No, See, I love Byron. For pennies a day, awesome. you can help hoes who have no pimp. Become pimped out. Shut up. He wasn't my pimp. Please give to the United Pimp College Fund today. <laughs> You're so fucking stupid. I was actually dating his cousin at the time. And Smack a bitch tomorrow. Whenever me and his cousin would have a fight, I would go over to his house and he would be like, he'd have me sit down beside him and he'd put my head, my head on his shoulder and he'd be like, I told you, he might be my cousin, but he's a dick. Mm. And I'd go, I know. Smack a bitch down tomorrow. Smack a bitch down today. Teach her, teach her how she should be pimped. Smack her anyway. Are you done? Maybe. And I don't care what you say. I'm not a fucking hooker. Of course not. Professional escort. That's what we call you now. I'm not even going to say what I was going to think. I was thinking. That's almost like a superhero thing, what you just said. Quick, Robin, to the bedroom. <laughs> Bam. Pow. <laughs> That's what sometimes what happens. <laughs> what are you going to do to me, Scott? Bam. Ow. Bam. Pow. <laughs> You're so fucking stupid. I think I'm bleeding. Anyway, go ahead. Days later, after Dodd was arrested, he told the <laughs> investigator uh, named David Trimble that he had contemplating letting Lee go. He claims that he seriously considered just driving the four-year-old back to the playground um, that he had been abducted from. However, he ultimately decided against that because he didn't want to risk Lee identifying him later, nor did he want to risk somebody noticing him with the boy when he dropped him off. Uh, When Dot got done with work, he went back home and journaled some more. He had to find some bags to hide Lee's body. He wrote, Then I'll figure out a place to dump the, quote, garbage. That's what he called it. Without an ounce of remorse, he drove over to a dock on Vancouver Lake and dumped Lee's body in plain view. That's not too far from here either. I know. It's roughly 10 minutes. Okay. Well, remember, he worked for Pack Paper or something like that, which is right around here, too. 
I don't okay. think it's still open, but I don't think it is either. I can't remember if there's a paper mill that's well. Maybe it's, they're talking about the paper plant that's in Camas. No, really it's huge. within. It's not that far from Vancouver Lake. They said. Oh, it could be out there. I don't. Yeah. Frequent. The only time I've been out to Vancouver Lake was my first day on work crew, when we went out there and had to clean that motherfucker, when it was freezing outside. You don't. You didn't go out there. You've never been out there to fish. No. Go fish, kid. Nope. Okay. I like the Columbia River. Oh yeah, that's a cleaner. River. Yeah, pretty clean. Yeah. Don't yeah. ever go fishing in the Willamette or Hag Lake. No, we go fishing in freaking the Willamette, man. You're going to pull up a five eyed fish with teeth that physically talk. So, motherfucker, what you pulling me up Yeah, and ball? then if you try to fucking skin it and eat it, you'll die. Yeah, because it pulls out a fucking gun. Dude, fucking the Willamette is disgusting. I don't even know why people go swimming in it. It's just a cesspool. Um,. When Dodd went back home after, you know, dumping Lee's body, he burned all of Lee's clothes in a burn barrel in his backyard. Well, all of Lee's clothes, not all of Lee's clothes, he held onto the four-year-old's Ghostbusters underwear. I knew it. I, I swear to God, I fucking saw that coming. What, the underwear or the Ghostbusters? No, that they held onto the underwear. Oh, yeah. Because it just seems like it fits his profile to a T. Yeah. Those he folded nicely and put in his briefcase where the authorities found him later. Um, a couple of days had gone by since Lee had been reported missing and his father, Robert, still held out hope he would be found alive. Um, he truly hoped that his son had been kidnapped by a lonely adult needing the comfort of a comforting company of a Ooh, child. Buddy, that never happens. That happens yeah. precisely 0% of the time. Well, every once in a while, because remember back at that time, there had been a couple of incidences where people had kidnapped children so that they could raise them as their own. Vaguely. Like my name is, well, no, my name is Steven. He was, a, he was molested, but um, yeah. Um, it's a rarity though. That's true. Super rare. Yeah. He did address the public on TV saying there are a lot of people out there who are lonely. Maybe someone who never had a child or who never got to dress up on Halloween or never got presents at Christmas. If it's someone like that, he could just drop them off at a store or a street corner. You know, don't harm my child. No, and it makes sense. I'd be yeah. that same mindset too. Yeah, so however, Robert's hope was short-lived. On November 1st, a couple days later, <laughs> a pheasant hunter came across Lee's body in the early morning hours. When the authorities arrived, they were both shocked and dismayed by the sight that greeted them. They were shocked because the cruelty someone had to had to possess to murder a four year old, and then they were dismayed because the little boy's the little body was tossed beside someone's trash. Jeez. Uh, what a one, fucking asshole! Yeah, one sheriff's deputy later commented, "What could a four year old do to make someone kill him?" Um, they've never been to Walmart. <laughs> like for real. You're so fucking stupid. Oh, oh. Go hang out at Walmart for one day. And pick it. Not not, not the good ones in the good area like in, in East Vancouver off of 192nd. Because that one's really nice. But anywhere in my neighborhood. Or even off of 205. One day is all you need. I guarantee you're going to see a couple of things. Number one, you're going to see somebody with a mullet. I promise. Because it, it, it's the law. They have to have so many mullets a day. Number two, you will see at least five kids. So do they put ads in papers saying, 
or on the internet that says only one mullet has arrived today. We still need two more. Come yeah, down pr- now. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, they're <laughs> You're like so stupid. Well, the, the the mullets they travel in packs or a flock of mullet, um, and they just, and they and they drift into Walmart. Are they called murders of mullets or no? No, that's a flock of mullet. A flock of mullet. Yeah, just like if it's done right with the feathering, you get flock of seagulls. And then you're going to see the little bratty fucking trailer park trash kids. And they're going to be screaming and hooping and a hollering. And these mullet people are always dressed in a wife beater. No, sometimes I see them in Hawaiian shirts. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, sometimes with leather jackets. Oh, yeah, from like the 80s and 90s leather yeah, jackets. Or, yeah, uh, like the, the fucking jean jackets. They have those too. You know, and they always and they have a ball cap that always says something stupid like "world's greatest lover" or "ask me about my penis" or <laughs> "FBI female body inspector" yeah, or "NASCAR." <laughs> it's always something like that, right? That's funny because my best friend bought a Levi's jean jacket, and oh. I said, "The '90s called. They want their jacket back." <laughs> you're gonna see the little fucking curtain climbing crotch goblins in there. The spunk monkeys, and. They're going to be hooping and hollering. They're semen demons. Yeah, and they're going to be causing all kinds of hate and discontent. Meanwhile, you've already got a splitting headache because you've been drinking all goddamn night and partying. (laughs) And And you're uh, just going to Walmart to get some fucking pork rinds. You're going to goddamn Walmart just to get some damn aspirins and... And, you know, maybe, okay, well, I'm going to have to eat something, so maybe I'll go over to the deli or, you know, buy myself some sandwich stuff, that type of thing. And then it happens. They come in there and they're like, and you don't dare get too close to the mullets because those motherfuckers bite. I'm fairly sure most of them have rabies. If not, you're going to catch the trailer park trash. You're going to catch white trash from them is what's going to happen. And you know what happens? <laughs> the white trash, the, the the redneck mullet will rub off on you. <laughs> no, they'll bite you. And what will happen is you'll try to make it out of the story, but I itch every wire. Where the hell that voice come from? I wonder who's racing today on NASCAR and where they're going to right now. Hey, hey, I got trucks. So I will automatically gain that accent and everything. Then then you're looking around and you're sitting there going, I like the lift kit on your truck. No, that looks really good, man. No, back it on out. I got you. I got you. And then your shirt falls off, and all of a sudden there's just a wife beater there, and there's like Daisy Duke almost like cut off shorty shorts when it happens to your With jeans. With the pockets hanging down past the... Pockets are hanging out. And then you're, you're, you're looking, going, some bitch, I'll go back in there for that goddamn pork, those pork rinds and some of that generic beer. Got to get me an El Camino and park it in my yard. That's right. And then if they walk by an El Camino, you see that they get an erection. And they're all, oh, my God, that's a beautiful El Camino. And sure enough, it will belong to one of the mullets that tried to bite you in the first place. That's how you get more mullets. That's how it spreads. The only thing I have to say about that is, A, not going to happen because I cannot stand. I mean, when I take your son to Walmart to go shopping, I'd stay in the car. I'm like, I'm not going in. I don't want to get bit by the mullets, man. And number two is... um. Um, well, my, my Walmart over here isn't bad for mullets. You don't have to worry about really getting bitten well, by them. Well, because it's not a super center. It's yeah. just a, yeah. You go to it's the super center off of 205, though, you're going to, you stand that chance, and you don't know. You could be walking down like you're, hey, I'm going to get a can of soup. You turn around, and maybe you, you accidentally bite or bump a mullet. Just by, oh, hey, man, I'm sorry. What the hell's your problem, man? Hold on. And they take the shirt off. I'm going to kick your ass like I do a tree in Florida. And then they want to start throwing, throwing punches at you. It's scary. No, that's when they whip off their wife beater because they have to be shirtless. Exactly. <laughs> and then they pull out the rule book and say, I got to whip your ass. I'm from Florida. It says right here, I got to take my shirt off. Same, same. 
Same, same, same. same. That's yes, yes, not no, no. Same, same. And they try whooping your ass, and you're like, I'm not a fucking tree, dude. Well, you are now. NASCAR! I call try to my son Sequoia because he's so big. <laughs> but anyways, and my second thing about that is you think mullets only belong to men, but that's not true. Nope. Because I have a lesbian friend who used to have a mullet. I have seen couples that have matching mullets. And when you see it from afar. His and hers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was seeing Autumn, and her and I used to actually take pictures of people with mullets. We would mullet hunt. And, we and that saw... was back before cell phone cameras, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we had a little camera, and then we had to get developed, and then we'd have to have it scanned, and we would upload it to a site called Mullet Hunters because we're fucked up. And we saw the most – it was majestic. It really was. They both had matching Levi jackets. Of course. Mullets that were kind of shaved on the side. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of ratty in the back. Like, night didn't. They had the same fucking mullet. And we thought for a minute, maybe they're brother and sister, but like from Arkansas. And you know what that means? They've got kids together. (laughs) With one wonky eye. That's right. One wandering eye. (laughs) And near missing. So, what what we had to do, because we wanted to get a picture of them, but we were too far away. Here, here comes here. George is coming out of you right now. We started talking. Okay. And then we decided, you know, I bet you they're really proud of that W nine hundred Kenworth right there. Let's see if they'll take a picture with you, Autumn, next to their Kenworth. And she said, "That's gonna work." So she went up being dingy. So, oh my God, I love your truck. And they're all, at first, because as soon as you approach them all, they go, "Oh." I know they get all defensive and shit because they think. You're going to say something about my moment. <laughs> so they start growling. Oh, you like our truck? No. Yeah, where are you from? Arkansas. Yeah, we figured. And can I get a picture of myself? Can, she goes, can my boyfriend take a picture of me next to you guys and, and, and the truck? Because it's a beautiful color. Well, of course, because now they're all happy. See, it's important when you're approaching a mullet, you have to tame them down a little bit. Yeah, and compliment something they have. Yeah, because if you don't, they will bite you. And we already went over what happens when you get bit. You turn into a mullet. That's what happens. You turn into white trash. You catch the white trash. So they calm down. Instead of a touch of the gay, you get a touch of the you get a touch of this of the white, white trash. <laughs> Trailer got, trash. We got a couple of good pictures of them, but it was it was quite majestic, and they were both kind of tubby and dressed almost exactly alike. It was wonderful. <laughs> so someday I'll tell you the story about getting a picture with a guy who had a, a, a mold that was bigger than Billy Ray Cyrus's. No way. I was impressed. Like, oh, my God, it's the mother of all mullets. This guy is achy-breaking in my heart just looking at him. Yeah, there's a comedian, Ralphie May. He's dead now. But he talked about, you know, people with mullets and how they're fucking. He goes, have you ever seen one? They are awesome. And I was like, oh, my God. And every time I hear him now, I think about you. But anyways, so um. Let's see here. Oh, so after Lee's body was discovered, a guy by the name of Dr. Ronald Turco wrote up a psychological profile of the killer for the authorities to look for. And remember, that was like in the infancy of profiling. Right. Okay. He he said, and I'm, I'm quoting it here, he would be between 25 and 35 years old and, quote, kicked out of the military if he had served. The killer would be a loner and likely keep pictures of his victims, a journal he recorded his actions in, and in addition to the journal, he would keep article clippings from the paper and child pornography. The killer likely targeted boys because he felt girls were defective. 
I mean, that was like Dodd, 100%. Well, he's not wrong. I know, right? Girls are defective. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Except for when they're women, and then their vaginas are awesome. Okay, I'm going to take that back because I know that just by saying that, I will get the most hate mail. I was going to say, we have a high demographic of women, of women listeners. When I say that stuff, ladies, I am seriously, I'm just messing with you guys. I actually... I, I absolutely adore most women. There are some of you that are snatches. I will, I will fucking say that. But there's guys who are dickheads, too. Um, but I absolutely value women, your rights, everything about yeah, you. Yeah, I always know when he's joking, when he tells me that he's going <laughs> to bitch slap me and all that shit. Or hook you out, you know, pimp yeah. you out. That type bitch, thing. get out there and get my money. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have a lot of respect for women. Yeah. And, and, and their rights as well. Yeah. As I do every, seriously, I make a lot of racial jokes and shit, but I respect every race and every yeah. gender. I you know, know you do. It's you know, you just, just, A lot of your racist shit is said in front of me because you know it bothers me. Oh, yes. Because see that look, or even better is when we're on the phone and I do that shit. And I can see you through the phone just by your silence and your breathing. It comes into my mind. I'm like, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> And then you keep going, and I'll go, Scott Alexander. Especially when I'm talking or about Scott. When I'm talking about rubbing oil into your mom's butt. Scott. That was the best one. That's when I told you I had to hang up. So Tasty. even though the profile gave an accurate psychological description of Dodd, it didn't tell them what the killer looked like or where he might strike next. Um, yeah, some composites were released to the media. And yeah, several hundred tips came in from the public who said they could have sworn they saw Lee with a man. However, none of those leads ever panned out. Okay? When Lee's parents held his funeral, there were investigators milling around as well. They were hoping the killer would show up to pay his respects, which we've, you know, we've heard about before. That's very common. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's nothing that's out of the ordinary at all. Yeah. However, Dodd was actually smart enough to stay away. That day, he stayed home, curled up in his bed, along with his diary and the materials he needed to construct, because this is when he decided he was going to construct his torture rack. Oh. Yeah. He had actually gotten, it looked like two by fours, because I have a picture of that too, and kind of like secured them together, and it, it almost looked like a funky pallet that he was going to... Um, he wanted to have it complete before he chose another victim. Um, in the days that followed, Dodd came to the conclusion that the best opportunity he had to select another victim would be at the movies. He perused the paper to check on movie times for all the family features. And before he even attempted to abduct James, he had made a few other attempts. Um, little did Dodd know the attempted abduction of James would prove fruitful only this time the victor would be law enforcement this is uh the one in the movie theater yeah right? that was yeah. the kid that like screamed and hollered and like fucking yeah that's because his mom right told him if anybody ever tries to kidnap you you make as much noise as you can you know what changes mama away. thank you yeah you did an excellent job every mama should be telling their kids exactly that. exactly because even to this day right here there's so many sick fucks out there you know, and I'm sure that some right. of them even listen to our show. And if you are and you're offended that I'm calling you a sick fuck, well, hey, you know what? If the shoe fits, wear that bitch. Yeah. Well, and not just that. I remember when my son was little because that was when they would go up to, I mean, that's around the time when uh, abductors would go up to a kid and say, hey, your mom told me to come pick you up. 
mm-hmm. or whatever. I told my son, I mean, my son had a list of questions. He was to ask these people because people who knew me well and people I would send to him would know the answers to this, you know, and he, are, he already knew most of my friends anyways. But it's like he had to say, OK, well, if you know my mom, what's her favorite color? What's her favorite movie? You know, and if they couldn't answer the questions, he was like, no, I can't go with you. More than once. So Jake and I, when he was small, we'd shop at at Winco. Oh, yeah. And he'd have to use the bathroom every once in a while. And okay, yeah, go ahead. And I'd be watching the bathroom. And I would see somebody walk in just after him. More than once, I've laid my card down and sat there and go, I'll be right back. And I'll look at people and somebody just followed my son into the bathroom. And I shoot over there. You know? And it's Every time it's happened more than once, like I said, it's just a guy like using the urinal, looking at me like, dude, what, what, what's wrong? What's happening? There's Jake in the fucking stall. Yeah. You know, um, Jake, you okay? No, I'm fine, daddy. All right, cool. And I come walking over. Sorry, man. Just got to be safe. Yeah. And half the time people, you know, most of the time the other parents go, no, I did the same thing. And then you get occasionally, you know, you got people who go, yeah, dude, you're blocking up the line. And me being the asshole that I am. This is before anger management, by the way. Hey, this is Bam. So, Bam. <laughs> um, I've, I've looked at more than one people and go, tell you what, sir, why don't you go fuck yourself? Because that's my son, not yours. So, yeah. fuck off. Well, I remember my son was up until he was nine years old. I took him into the female bathroom with me because I was like, no. And then the first time I let him use the male bathroom by himself, I stood right outside the door. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm like, because if anybody's going to walk out with my kid, they're going to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they are going to die today. Oh, that's me. Yeah. You know? So, you it's know. It's a fucking beast now, and I still protect his dumb ass. Yeah, because we still need to keep an eye on him. He's a little slow. <laughs> I'm Jake. kidding, intern. I'm kidding. <laughs> Jake rolls with the flow, you man. You know what? One time. When he did, just did that, it reminded me of the time that we were, my son and I were coming out of the Safeway. He must have been about 12, and he was being a dick. And finally, I looked at him. I said, honey, we have to leave because we didn't bring your helmet today. You'll be okay. Let's just go home and get your helmet. And he was oh like, mom, I'm going to kill you. I'm going <laughs> to give one more story, and then we got to wrap this yeah. up. I'm pretty sure you're close. When I was married to Misty, um, her and I was taking a trip, um, and we were in upstate New York. We stop off at one of the only Bob's Big Boys that's left anywhere. It's at, it's at one of the uh, the toll plazas. Right. Where you can go in. It's like, you know, kind of a rest area. Right. In, uh, on the toll road. Yeah. And I love I love fucking with it. So we're sitting there and we finish up. And I go, but Mitty, why don't you love me no more after you touch my pee-pee? And she stood up without missing a beat. She because you're fucking retarded. Pay the bill. And walked out. Meanwhile, everybody's looking at me just going, Ooh. Oh, oh, she got me. She got me. That, that's, that, that just really fucking happened. I'm going to go, honey, wait, I'm paying the bill. I'm, I'm coming right like right, right behind you. I'm paying the bill. I'm just going to go now. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so we already talked about how um, the brave actions we were just talking about a second ago of six-year-old James and the level-headed thinking of Ray Graves, you know, his mom's boyfriend, culminating in the capture of Dodd. Once he was in custody, he was being interrogated by detectives from Oregon and Washington. Right. Because he operated in two states. Yeah. Man. So needless to say, the little man was scared shitless. Well, I would be too. Which, you wonder why? Because even though Vancouver is part of the Portland metro area, I found that out when I got arrested. Yeah. Um, you still tran- You still operated across state lines. Well, Guess see, what? That's a federal crime, I you stupid say, But fuck. he never was charged federally. No shit? Yeah. Um. 
It didn't take long for the authorities from both states to pull up Dodd's lengthy record of crimes he had committed against children. The most serious offense up until that point was that 1987 attempted child abduction in Seattle when he tried to grab that kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were almost certain he was their man when they figured out two things. Number one, Dodd lived in close proximity to where the Near brothers were murdered. And number two, he worked in close proximity to where Lee's body was discovered. There you go. Yeah. The detectives began questioning Dodd about the events that transpired at the New Liberty Theater. Um, He did his best to convince his interrogators that he only intended to sexually assault James in the bathroom. Okay. I just wanted to fucking fondle this little kid. So oh, that's it. Okay. You know what, sir? Go home. We're sorry for the misunderstanding. Yeah. Oh, fucking idiot. So he also freely admitted that he had a history of child molestation. However, he conveniently left out the fact that he also had a history of murdering now as well. With just a little more pressure, Dodd convinc- con- confessed to everything in disgusting graphic detail. According to his confection, he said that he had no choice but to kill the Near brothers. If he didn't kill them both, they would have been able to identify him later. He said, quote, when Cole pulled his pants down, um, I knew I wouldn't be able to let them go. It was as if he were placing the blame on of Cole's murder on the boy himself. Well, yeah, it's, it's called projecting. Yeah. So the detectives questioning Dodd were physically sickened by his confessions. However, it wasn't so much as words that were making them ill. It was the fact that he was visibly enjoying reliving the events surrounding the murders. That's when he told them about his briefcase and where they could find it. He also told them that they could find his journals, photos, and a trophy from Lee's murder in that briefcase. Um... When they searched his apartment, they noticed that despite how tiny it seemed, he kept it meticulously clean. I mean, it was like, you know. This is a good housekeeper. Yeah. Well, they find that a lot of, you know, serial offenders like that are very, like, OCD and meticulous. They have to have everything in order. You're not as meticulous as... No, I was going to say, this proves that I'm not. Yeah. This is because I have to hire another fucking housekeeper. Oh, what happened to yours? Uh, she's doing like, she broke her foot twice. Then she's, right now she's got COVID. Like everybody else has had the shot. I'm not saying that the shot causes it. I'm just saying that everybody that I know that has gotten sick has had the shot. Well, I haven't gotten sick yet. It does too. Shut your hole. <laughs> I haven't gotten it. Any hoosies. I would have hired That's him. because COVID's afraid of you. It is. <laughs> so... S- so when they detect, oh, I already said that. They quickly located the ropes and belts he had stockpiled to restrain his victims. He actually had him in the bottom of like a nightstand drawer. Oh, at least it keeps that organized. Yeah, I, I mean, I have some pictures of his apartment. <clears throat> this is my sock drawer. This is where I put my underwear. This is my, my, my molestation drawer. This is my kill kit. Yeah, this is my kill kit. Yeah. So then they found the exacto knives he had purchased to perform his experimental surgeries. Um. And in his bedroom, they noticed that he had rope secured to the area around the head and footboards of his bed, which I told you I had pictures of that. Out. <laughs> so while searching his apartment, the search team found out that he possessed four volumes of parent-child self-help books, a copy of the New Testament 
Bible in which he had written the words, Satan lives on the inside. And then they found his, his torture rack. But I dropped She's my torturing cover. me. But notice She's he had That's not had She's a chance me. to use it yet. Um, however, despite all the physical evidence they'd already found, the most incriminating piece was exactly where Dodd told him it was beat. It was the briefcase under his bed. When they opened the briefcase, the very first thing that stood out to him was the way Dodd had neatly folded Lee's Ghostbusters underwear. Like they were a prize to him. Um, and like he laid them lovingly inside and made sure that nothing happened to him. They then opened his journals. Page after page after page, Dodd went into painstaking detail. He talked about the assaults he had already committed and the plans he had for future victims. And he had meticulously organized the neatly clipped newspaper articles that covered his crimes against the Near Brothers and Lee. However, more disturbing than that was probably the systematic way Dodd had arranged his personal notes on the crime. He had three different envelopes, and on the front of each one, he wrote Incident 1, Incident 2, and Incident 3. Oh, kind of like crafting his uh, scorecard. Kind of, yeah. Because instead of, but instead of writing Incident, he put, craft uh, put little things like... Um, to remind him where and who. Right, like uh, Organ Elk 5. Yeah. You know, it, it, things like that. So it showed... Yeah. Like that was the rest stop on knife. Probably that one in Albany. It could have been. <laughs> uh, no, it was the one in Wilsonville. I remember that. Oh, that okay. You know, or the one that was like, I think it said Denver something or other. Right. Identify another one. That was his scorecard. So, yeah, very yeah. similar. So, there was also a photo album on which Dodd had written the words family memories on the front cover, but on the inside, he had his child porn collection. Included in the collection were images of the Christ baby from old paintings and magazine ads of boys in their underwear. Tucked among the photo collection, they found the Polaroid photos of Dodd in the nude, him sexually assaulting Lee, and photos of Lee after Dodd murdered him, including the one he had taken of the little boy hanging in the closet. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, After Dodd gave the detectives his confession... He was charged with three charges of first-degree murder and one charge of attempted kidnapping. At his arraignment, he entered a plea of not guilty. However, after consulting with his counsel and against their advice, in January of 1990, he pled guilty to every count. Oh, okay. Yeah. That same year, Dodd made an appearance in front of a judge in Clark County in Vancouver, Washington. During that hearing, he read a statement he had written in advance, which he admitted every crime he committed was premeditated. Um, Even though a jury didn't have to be assembled to deliberate over whether to convict him or not, they still had to decide whether or not he should receive the death penalty. Um, Lead prosecutor, by the name of Roger Bennett, addressed the jury first. And he said, look what Mr. Dodd likes to do in his free time. Plan child murders, commit child murders, um, relive fantasies about child murders, and write about them. With life, without parole, two of those things will still be available to him, which means he could still write and fan, you know, relive right. the fantasies. Right, right. Um, the jury, which consisted of an equal number of men and women, six men, six women, had to sit and listen in disbelief to expert excerpts from his journal. They had to view the photos Dodd had taken of the horrible things he had done to Lee with grief. They even sat in disgust as they were read Dodd's plans to mutilate, dismember, and murder future victims. See, in a case like that, seriously, they should have 
shot him in the back of the head right there in the fucking courtroom. Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, they should have a little murder room with the made out of plexiglass. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. And <laughs> to eliminate spatter. Right, because they, they, they found his book. He's admitted to it. They found photographic mm-hmm. evidence. So everything lines up. It's not like you're going to make come out of this like a couple of years later. Oh, no. We had we, the wrong person. We made a mistake. Dude. You didn't make a mistake. This is 100% guilt. Yeah. You know, fucking walk his ass into that little murder room. Go, you have any last words? And as soon as he goes, yes, I, and that's that should be it. Yeah, I. Yeah, and you're done. Yeah. Go shoot him. So um, when it came to Dawes' defense, not one witness was called and not one piece of evidence was presented. His attorney, Lee Dane, made a feeble attempt to say only someone who was truly insane would make the journal entries that his client had done. The entire time, Dodd sat at the defense table and his expression was empty. According to an interview he gave the Oregonian later, he said he only felt boredom. He, and he, I'm quoting, I've heard it so many times now, it's kind of old, really. We hear that a lot, though, where they sit at the, at the table. And oh, yeah. Consi- it's, a, it's a very consistent theme, you know, and he, he had nothing, in, uh, no facial well, expressions. Joel or- Rifkin fell asleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was sitting there in trial, and he fell asleep. <laughs> it's like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? You're being charged with murder. These people are up there testifying against the horrible things you've done, and you fall asleep. Awaken me when you're done. Yeah. Wake me up when you're done. I'm tired of hearing this. Yeah. So, um, the prosecution was doing everything they could to convince the jury to sentence Dodd to death. On Saturday, July 15th, 1990, the jury didn't disappoint when they recommended he die for the crimes he had committed against defenseless victims. Graves, the guy who was instrumental in his apprehension, later stated to the press, the man don't deserve to live, not someone who does that to babies. There's nothing more precious than them little boys. I agree. Which is true. Um, the reason why Dodd's case was actually so controversial, because remember I talked about the controversy? My back scratcher thingy over there. Um, why? No. No, it's not. I oh. thought it was in here, but it's not. Sorry. Cool. So um, his case was controversial due to the fact that he was put in a rather peculiar position. He was thrust into a predicament where he actually had to defend his choice to die. He said, I didn't offer any mitigating evidence during the penalty phase because in my mind, that's just an excuse. And I don't want to make any excuses. Dodd continued to address the court when he said, I do not blame the criminal justice system for anything, but the system does not work. And I can tell them why. It doesn't really matter why the crimes happen. I should be punished to the full extent of the law, as should all sex offenders and murderers. Now, Dodd said that if his victims' families could feel any sense of relief by him dying, then nothing should stand in the way of that happening as soon as it possibly could. At that time, in the Washington state legal system, they weren't fully transitioned into lethal injection as a sole means of execution. After receiving his death sentence, Dodd stated he wanted, because they still did hangings. Oh. Dodd said he wanted to hang for his crimes, and he didn't want his execution to be delayed by a lengthy appeals process. Okay, you know what? Honestly, while, while Dodd, you're a sick fuck, and oh. obviously he's dead now, I respect. You're going to change your mind here in a minute. Oh. 
Yeah. So I'm, he said, I must be executed before I have an opportunity to escape or kill someone within the prison. If I do escape, I promise you, I will kill and rape and enjoy every minute of it. Now, to justify his decision for death by hanging, he said, because that's the way Lee died, immediately after Dodd made his statements, the judge set his ex- date of execution for January 5th, 1993, at the state prison in Walla Walla. At 1313... <laughs> Northwest 13th Avenue. I know exactly where it is because I drive by it Yeah, well, once a week. I mean, I remember it because I was like, I don't remember the zip code, but I was like, oh, my God, that is a memorable I'll address. be driving by there actually tomorrow. Oh, well, there you go. Say yeah. hi. Hi, well. <laughs> um, even after Dodd stood up, that's where, um, what's his name is, the um, Green River Killer. Green River, yeah. Yeah. Even after Dodd stood up in court and stated he wanted to be put to death, and he wanted to die soon, the ACLU tried to get involved. Jesus Christ. You ACLU, know them. They're shut fucking the fuck nosy up. fucking bastards. They argued that the death penalty in general, and more specifically, death by hanging, was, quote, cruel and unusual punishment. Oh my God. Yeah. Sakes. Since Dodd is the one that chose the crueler of the two capital punishment options, his case drew a line in the sand when it came to Washington's capital punishment debate. That there were many people who rallied in an effort to stay the execution. Dodd stated in court that he should die for his crimes and he had accepted his fate. However, <laughs> there have been two sides of a strong debate as to his motivations. Number one, he knew that was the only way he could be stopped and death by hanging was apropos. Or two, he wanted to die as a martyr and not as the criminal he was. Okay. Okay. So I'm sure there may some be some of you who are still on the fence about Dodd's motivation. I know where I stand on the issue. However, let me give you a little more information. Because um, I, w- I remember this case, specific, the execution, specific, I mean, vividly. Um, in the days leading up to Dodd's date of execution, he made the most out of every second. He reached out to all the local media outlets stating he could, quote, help by getting his story out there. He even thought he was being helpful by writing a pamphlet on, quote, how to keep kids safe. However, I'm left with that feeling at that time, too little, too late. No, I agree. Yeah, too little, way too late is actually what I said. When I take everything about this case, not just portions, into consideration, there was one glaring reality. Every detailed journal entry, every letter written to the media outlets, and every word in a pamphlet written as a, quote, caution to parents were done to satisfy one thing, Dodd's incessant need to talk about this sh- and share the sick, his sick div- deviant fetish. No, I, I, I agree with yeah. that because of, of the fervor that he went into, you know, the, the, the joy he took out of fucking telling the cops about exactly what he did. Yeah, like Jerry Brudos. Remember, yeah. it was like he wanted to infect them with his... You know, his excitement. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally. So in much the same way that Bundy was a, quote, consulting expert who helped apprehend Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer, (coughs) the media grasped Dodd's hand as a, quote, expert when it came to victimizing children. He knew what he was doing when he set about marketing himself as a real-life monster. You know, um, he was actually making himself into a hero, kind of. It was like he was saying, look at me, watch out for my kind. There are others in your community just like me. But with that, you got to kind of take the good with that as well. And I'll I'll explain what I mean. Is that while he, I I see where he's going with it. He totally wants to be a martyr and people go, well, he ended his life good, which is bullshit. But 
if you're learning tricks on how to keep your kids safe and he's legit about it and it's it's viable shit, you know, then, yeah. and you're actually helping save kids' lives. Yeah, I haven't been able to find a copy of the pamphlet he wrote. I just, I, I see, sometimes the ends justifies the means. Sometimes, yeah. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, he was a great guy. No, dude, he was a piece of garbage. Right. Well, and keep in mind, I mean, I was around here at that time. So those were the phrases that came to my mind when I saw his numerous television appearances. He also made the early 90s talk show circuit. He called into every radio program he could. And he solicited every interview from any reporter from every publication he could think of. As long as Dodd could find someone to listen to how he molested and murdered children, Dodd wasn't going to sit back and die quietly. Of course not. Yeah. At one point... The presiding judge, Robert Harris, had gotten so tired of the nonstop interviews from the press Dodd was giving, he threatened him. He said, he told Dodd that if he didn't limit his interactions, he would be put on lockdown conditions, and that meant his phone and mail privileges would be revoked. However, Harris took it one step further when he criticized reporters for printing the statements Dodd had, Dodd, Dodd could, that from Dodd that could influence the jury. Good. Yeah. Because they, they, the media fucks things up. Oh, they do. Totally. You know, that's why we're careful on You're what always, we say. You are always uh, found guilty in the court of public opinion before right. you even go on trial. No, uh, totally. Yeah. That's why, you know, you and I are very careful about what we say on our shows uh, and things like that because, you know, although we're not like CBS or NBC or anything like that, um, we still have a following. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to fucking take. What I say is, you know, like the God's fucking law. And I always try to say allegedly, and I have no proof. And I I mean, we are not experts. We have opinions. Unless, unless it comes to being bitten by a mullet. (laughs) Then you need to take that advice. And run with it. And run with it. Yeah. Keep yourself safe. That's right. Tuck it away for future reference. I'm going to write a pamphlet about that. That is is Scott's PSA for the day. Yeah, I'm writing a pamphlet about that. Yeah. Keep yourself safe from mullets. Anyways, my whole thing is... You know, and since Doc can no longer use children to satisfy his own sexual gratification, he had to do something else. He began to use the children he had harmed already to gratify his ego when he claimed he was a quintessential expert on every aspect of child molestation. Because he kept bringing up the victims he had victimized. Well, you have to think of it this way. It's, It's much like keeping his souvenirs. Oh, yeah. Except now he gets to relive that tale over and over and over and over again. Instead of feeling remorse, he's getting. I bet you that he got sexual gratification out of it. Oh like yeah. Like afterwards, I'm pretty sure he's going in there and beating the meat. Oh yeah. And make no mistake, as the day of Dodd's death drew close, he tried to play act like he had remorse for his actions. He actually said, "I have confessed all my sins. I believe what the Bible teaches. I'll go to heaven. I have doubts, but I'd like." I'd really like to believe that I would be able to go up to the three little boys and give them a hug and tell them how sorry I was and be able to love them with a real, true love and have no desire to hurt them in any way. However, when I read that statement, it made my skin crawl. Now, I don't profess to be an upright religious person. However, I do know that in the Bible, Jesus himself said, one would be, and I'm paraphrasing, one would be better off if they tied a boulder to their neck and drowned than harm a child. Therefore, I can only hope that Dodd was never allowed near those boys he had victimized when he reached his final destination of hell. Right? So on January 5th, 1993, 
Wesley Allen Dodd walked to the gallows and swung at the end of a rope for the murder of Billy Near, Cole Near, and Lee Isley. He was pronounced dead at 12.05 a.m. And on that same day, Dodd went into Washington State Prison record books for the same execution. Um, he went. He actually had two entries. One, he was the first inmate to die in the gal at the gallows in the state of Washington since 1965, and number two, he was actually the last inmate to die at the gallows in the state of Washington. Oh, okay, cool. yeah, but um, yeah. So that's all I have. My whole thing is is I do not believe for a second he wanted to help people. No, I believe that <laughs> no. everything he did was in order to gratify his need to victimize people and to continue to bring his victims into the spotlight and say, this is what I did to them. Yeah, because he can't keep the souvenirs with him in prison, yeah. like the underwear, so why not keep reliving it? That's how you're going to get your And let the public off. know exactly what he did. Yeah. Yeah, he was just... He, was he just really, changed, he changed the souvenirs. That's yeah, all he did. He was on Phil Donahue. He was on Sally Jesse. I mean, I remember all of these TV appearances and shit and how they kept bringing it up in the news. And they kept saying, you know, yeah, he chose to die by hanging, but it's not right. He shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't do it. They, you know, he's, he's just, you know, blah, blah, blah. He thinks he should die this way because blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, he doesn't give a shit how he killed Little Lee. Let's have a little sweet moment with Scott. I'm talking to you, ACLU. <laughs> I'm scared. You're right. We shouldn't have let him be hung because that is cruel. But, you know, even let though it wasn't televised. Let the punishment fit the crime. You know what I would do? Seriously, I think that he should have been butt-fucked to death. And I'm not even kidding. Yeah. I think that they should have gotten a baseball bat. And they should have tortured him and strangled him, revived him, and then choked him again. Exactly. And then hung him. Let the punishment fit the yeah. crime. Because I agree, hanging is very cruel. That's for you, ACLU. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Well, and it just, like I said, it totally, totally just... I mean, even though his execution wasn't televised... It was very much publicized. Oh, totally, you know? And I know there's people out there right now going, oh, my God, Scott's a fucking asshole. How do you think those fucking kids felt, people? How do you you think those those little goddamn kids felt while this piece of shit is murdering them and fucking molesting them? And then later fucking... Um, was that gentle? Publicizing Was was that not cruel? Was that gentle? Do you think think they fucking enjoyed that? I'm pretty goddamn sure that they fucking didn't. And how about their goddamn parents? I was good. Yeah. How how do you think their parents to this day feel? But yeah, they we got no people longer... out there going, it's cruel to do yeah. that. Fuck I you. mean, I've never lost a child, but I can only imagine how they felt at certain like times when the child would like at 18, when the kid would have graduated from high school or, you know, the first prom or, you know, at a certain age when they would have graduated from college or what they would have done, or when they should have gotten married, and you know what I mean? Right. There are milestones that they will no longer have. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I cherish every milestone with my son. You don't even know how excited I was when my son graduated from high school. You know? Because, let's be honest, my brother, my sister, and I were all dropouts. So for my son to actually graduate from high school was monumental. Because even my sister's kids didn't graduate. You yeah, know? I was proud of my son when he graduated from high school this year. Yeah. Uh, or last year. Last year, actually. But I was most impressed when he got caught masturbating. 
that meant he was truly yours? Well, no, because I waited. Stop it. I Sick waited. Fucker. After his grandma, my mom, said, look, you need to talk to Jake because I, you know, walked in his room and he was like, you know, fucking jerking the meat. You know, you got to talk to him about that, about closing his door and have that talk of life with him. So I didn't talk to him about it in Vegas. No. We were about Reno, Nevada. Waited until you were in the middle of nowhere and he couldn't get away from you. And we're driving. Yeah. So Grandma caught you jerking off, huh? And he's white. Just fucking ghost white. And his eyes go, I let that sit there for a minute. Fester. Dude, it's cool. I've jerked off all my life, too. Still jerk off to this day, but now there's new rules. And uh, rule number one is, you're going to wash your own fucking sheets. And your Get your own clothes. Get your own clothes. And two, you know, like when you're at the house, you keep your door closed. And if it's dinner time, I'm going to knock. And if you don't answer, I'm going to assume that you're sleeping or you're busy doing other things. I'm going to knock one time and I'm going to walk the fuck away. And I don't care what you're doing. Don't care what you're doing in there. It's your own goddamn business. I yeah. don't need to see it. Close your fucking door. I'm yeah. not walking in on you anymore. Yeah. And I do that to this day. I will knock, knock, knock. And then I use your... Ooh. Dude, dinner's ready. Or I'll text him. That works even better. Dude, dinner's ready. And if he doesn't answer, I assume that he's either sleeping or he's, you know, he's fucking punishing the bishop. His room is 10 feet from where we are sitting right now. Not even that. I don't want to get close enough to hear whatever weird stuff goes in there. He could be putting a baseball bat in his butt. I don't know. And I don't want to know. What's his business? He could be like, batter up, motherfucker. And I don't want to know. Please don't do that to me again. I, you know I'm a visual thinker, and that was just something I didn't want to see. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, oh, shut up. Anyways, well, and what was funny about you, te- you telling me about how you waited until you were in Reno is my ex-boyfriend who committed suicide, the one, you know, that really traumatized me, his mom, whenever she would want to yell at him, she would be like, he would be like, I have to go somewhere. She goes, I'll take you. And there was one time I was with them, and when we were in the car, and there was, and she's speeding down the highway, no way to get out, she starts fucking yelling. Oh, goddamn. And when she yells, her voice cracks like she's crying, so I thought she was crying. And I was, like, huddled in the corner of the truck going, I want to go away. I wish I could just disappear right now. I need my mommy. But, yeah, she would just freaking yell at him and then i'd be like and then she'd look at me and she goes i'm sorry you have to hear this but damn it and i was like okay <laughs> well jake and i had the talk of life on that trip and you know we went over like hey man like if you go out there and you get laid that's cool i'll buy you condoms wrap it up don't get no chick fucking knocked up because if you do i'll disown you because i'm not raising your fucking kids yeah i've done raise mine yeah um you know and, and all the good stuff and all in all he's pretty good he hasn't gotten anybody knocked up which is fucking phenomenal yet um, but that's why we have hookers and, you know, cause we don't care if they get knocked up. Um, that's horrible. I'm just kidding boys and girls, especially for our hooker audience. I'm sure we got hookers. I'm just kidding. We care if you get pregnant, but, um, I'm just waiting for the day. I'm actually rooting for him. Hoping he goes out and has sex soon. We were <laughs> talking saying. about this. We were shot grocery shopping just the other day and it was just yesterday. You jack hole. Yeah, you do. Shut up. And we, we were walking down an aisle, and we saw a chick who had a really nice bootay. And, uh, and we were talking about some of the chicks that he worked with, too. I said, dude, why aren't you banging? You're my son. You have Because well, he doesn't have the self-confidence. You, you have a know. whole entire oasis of vagina. 
You could be dating and getting laid. I don't have your self-confidence, and I don't, I don't know. Girls, it's scary, or whatever the fuck he said. You know, and I was sitting there going, dude, you could be banging right fucking now. Like, for yeah. real. Well, I tried to tell my son, too, because he was talking about how, you know, he'd be more comfortable dating if he could lose weight. I said, first of all, I said, I understand that you're self-conscious right now, and I understand, you know, low self-esteem. I said, however, you need to realize that overweight you know, bigger guys have an easier time out there dating than overweight women. Except for there are chubby chasers now. Here's the deal. This is my little dating tip for all you fat fuckers like me. First off, take what everybody says about you, roll it oh in the ball. Hold on. Bob Saget died today. Oh, shit. Yeah, Bob Saget. He's a comedian. You don't know. Take people's Sorry. opinion of you and throw it right out the window and don't give a fuck. Yeah. And trust me, when you go on a date... And you really don't care if they like you or not. I mean, be polite and everything like that. You know, booster your, bolster yourself. But you don't care whether you see them or not again. I mean, go into that with the no strings attached. Let's right. just have a fun time. Right, exactly. Because when you're sitting there all worried and shit, then it takes your self-confidence down. You feel like a dick. You know, will she call me in the morning? Can I get a kiss? Dude, don't even fucking worry about that. Go out, have a good time. Get laid, get laid. If you don't, you don't. If she calls you, fine. If she doesn't, fuck it. There's plenty of other women. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, and I as a woman have that same feeling, you know, because I, now I feel about, like a natural woman. Huh? Let's wrap this up so we can have some dinner. Yeah. So anyways, that's all I have to say about him. And as far as I'm concerned, I think most of his was nature because his parents were 100 percent. Yeah. Man. This guy is a natural born fucking piece of garbage. Yeah. He just, you know, fucking found pleasure in shocking children and <laughs> took it to whole new levels and he did escalate through the progress i mean he progressed in the natural way right no he did very yeah. much so all right remember you can send us an email and i'll probably get hate mail for what i said to the aclu but that's okay i'll deal yeah, with that uh, shit you know they don't like people anyway so brutal nation at twisted blue llc.com check out the website at twisted blue llc.com go to our patreon page help a brother out Check out our blogs wherever you find your blogs, especially on Medium and Crime Beat. That's on Medium. This show is copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. Hey, you guys, enjoy your fucking weekend. Drive safe. Don't get too drunk. And if you're doing something really dirty, think of me. Bye-bye. And let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Tell me your dirty details. (laughs) Yeah. We want to know every detail. (laughs) Bye, folks. Bye, everybody.